Welcome to Legal Ethics Now and Next. I'm Jim Dopke, partner at the Chicago firm of Robinson Stewart, Montgomery, and Dopke. We concentrate our practice in legal ethics, professional responsibility, and professional liability matters. We're all former attorney disciplinary prosecutors, and our partner, Mary Robinson, was the administrator of the Illinois disciplinary system. I'm starting this podcast as a way to discuss substantive ideas, practice tips, and trends in our industry here in Illinois and nationwide. I plan to do it not just by myself, but hopefully by interviewing my partners and others in various sectors of law practice and legal technology and innovation. There are a lot of interesting lawyers and educators out there, and I'd like to center them as we explore legal ethics as it is now and what comes next. I'd like to begin by revisiting a topic I blogged about a few years ago, a sea change in Illinois attorney discipline, but now examine it in light of some nationwide trends. So this is how our system is now. In 2013, the Illinois Supreme Court gave us a conceptual starting point for the future of legal regulation in our state, and that's the case of Inre Caravitas, 2013 IL 115767. The court refocused our disciplinary system in ways that profoundly affected the way our ARDC operates. But also, the case provides us a roadmap for Illinois lawyers interested in innovation. The lawyer who was charged with misconduct in the case was acting as executor of his father's estate. He borrowed nearly $400,000 from the estate in a way that the court found breached his fiduciary duties to his mother and his sister. The hearing board of the ARDC found that those breaches, the conversion of estate funds, and the resulting prejudice to the administration of justice should have subjected the respondent to discipline. Both parties appealed to the review board, which recommended the dismissal of the charges. The review board rejected the concept of charging or disciplining lawyers for conduct like breaches of fiduciary duty because they did not amount to violations of the rules of professional conduct. The court agreed with the hearing board that the respondent had breached his fiduciary duties, but also agreed with the review board that such a breach should not subject lawyers to discipline. It held that professional discipline may be imposed only upon a showing by clear and convincing evidence that the respondent attorney has violated one or more of the rules of professional conduct. Mere bad behavior that does not violate one of the rules is insufficient. That's the Caravitas opinion at paragraph 79. So that was the end of the administrator charging anything but violations of the rules of professional conduct in disciplinary complaints. No more breaches of duty, no more overreaching, and there should have been no more charging attorneys with conversion. The administrator still does a version of that in disciplinary complaints. The complaints don't include conversion as a separate charge, but they do allege that a violation of Rule 1.15 constitutes conversion. That's a legal conclusion separate from any factual allegation, so there's no way to know if it'll ever be litigated. The court in the Caravitas case for the first time articulated a difference between rule violations and civil offenses for which a civil remedy is available to aggrieved parties. That's the opinion at paragraph 69. So now, if a lawyer does something that gets her sued, then the civil lawsuit happens. But discipline, other than for clearly and convincingly proven misconduct that violates a rule, does not necessarily follow. After a short break, we'll talk about the effect the Caravitas opinion had on the way the ARDC has functioned since 2013. 
Is that case alone the reason why the ARDC has filed dramatically fewer formal disciplinary complaints over those years? I said in my previous blog post that there are forces at work that are depressing the numbers of requests for investigations the administrator of the ARDC receives and the formal complaints that the administrator files. But really, it's not that. It's that the numbers of complaints that the administrator files now are the new normal. When the court used the Caravitas opinion to curtail the administrator's purview, Was that a factor in bringing down the numbers of Illinois attorneys who are disciplined? How much of a factor? Searching the ARDC website for the phrase, breach of fiduciary duty, reveals 286 complaints that have been filed over the years going back to 1990. Over the four years leading up to 2013, there were an average of 14.75 complaints charging breach of fiduciary duty that were filed each year. In 2013, there were five. That was the year the court issued the Caravitas opinion. After that, the phrase does not appear in disciplinary complaints anymore. That is a lot of disciplinary complaints to not be filed. But that's not the whole story of what the disciplinary agency is doing and not doing, of how many cases it's filing and not filing. Over the last 20 years, the most complaints filed within one year was 147 in 2004. Last year, that number was somewhere between 45 and 50. We won't know the official number until the annual report is published in April. So the drop-off in the number of complaints was not just due to the court readjusting the administrator's priorities via the Caravitas opinion. The drop-off in the number of complaints is more steep than what Caravitas accounts for. The story is more complicated than just saying, well, in Caravitas, the court eliminated a whole category of disciplinary cases. The court said, no more charging lawyers with conduct that doesn't amount to more than a breach of fiduciary duty. So all those cases involving lawyers doing business or serving as trustee of a trust without representing a client, they're all gone, so the administrator's complaint numbers have gone down. That's one way of looking at it, but it's not quite right, and it's not entirely supported by the numbers. The administrator can still file complaints against lawyers seeking discipline for conduct that doesn't involve the lawyer's representation of a client. That instead involves the lawyer's business affairs or activities as an executor or trustee, or even family matters like Caravitas itself. What the administrator must do in those cases is charge only that the respondent attorneys violated a rule of professional conduct. Typically, the allegation will be that the lawyer violated Rule 8.4c, prohibiting dishonest conduct. If the administrator can establish that clearly and convincingly, then the lawyer can be disciplined for it, no matter what the context the conduct arose in. The administrator is pursuing these kinds of cases, just not at the same rate as before. And if that's what's happening now, fewer complaints following the Caravitas case, what's next? We'll talk about that after this break. 
So given that Caravitas represents a refocusing and one that had an effect on the way that the disciplinary system operates, what does that mean for Illinois lawyers more broadly? I think it has to mean that it frees lawyers to think more clearly about their risks and responsibilities. Let's say there's a lawyer who operates a non-legal business or a law-related business in addition to her practice. To what extent does that lawyer need to worry about the activities of the business becoming the subject of disciplinary regulation? After Caravitas, the answer is less. Not to no extent, but less. Someone could claim that the lawyer has operated the business in a dishonest way, and that'll draw the ARDC's attention and investigation. Or that the lawyer operated the business in a way that created a conflict of interest between the business and one of the lawyer's clients, effectively amounting to a personal interest conflict, one in which the lawyer's own interests are at odds with those of a client. And that can be investigated by the ARDC too. But will the lawyer face discipline for allegations that they breached a civil duty to a customer of the business? No. Let's say the related business is a financial planning entity, and a customer, not a legal client, claims that the lawyer gave them bad advice, put them in the wrong investment vehicle, or something like that. Does that serve as the basis for attorney discipline? No. Or at least, not without more facts than we're assuming here. So what does that mean for the lawyer? In my view, it means that the lawyer might feel more free to innovate in the operation of the business, grow the business or expand its offering of services, employ others to assist in administering the business, tailor the agreements the lawyer has with customers of the non-legal business and legal clients too, so that they're clear about the rights and responsibilities of each. There are now U.S. jurisdictions in which lawyers and other businesses can enter into partnerships that offer legal services under certain conditions. Illinois is not one of those jurisdictions. I'm talking here about Utah with its regulatory sandbox that allows for experimentation with the combined entities, and Arizona, which did away with Rule 5.4 entirely, abolishing restrictions on lawyers and other business people or professionals partnering together in the practice of law. It's not clear how likely it is that Illinois will adopt those kinds of changes in the near or distant future. The CBA-CBF Task Force on the Sustainable Practice of Law and Innovation Task Force Report, which was published on September 28th of 2020, provides a very intelligent basis to begin discussions about changes that can be made in the future. And an April 2021 update on the status of that report said that the Supreme Court responded favorably to the report and tasked some of its committees with working on providing further input and providing plans for execution of some of the items. I'll put a link to the report in the show notes, assuming I figure out how to make show notes work. Remember, this is my first podcast. But even now, there are ways for lawyers to work together with other professionals to enhance their provision of legal and non-legal services. Outside of partnerships and outside of co-owned business entities that provide legal services, that's a barrier that hasn't been broken yet in our state. But there are ways to innovate in law-related businesses that don't transgress that barrier and that don't put lawyers in the position of violating the rules of professional conduct. At our firm, we've consulted with lawyers and business people about those kinds of entities and how to construct them in compliance with the rules as they are now, so that the lawyers involved comply with both the letter and the spirit of the rules without becoming subject to discipline solely as part of the operation of the business. 
And that is the real innovation and meaning of the Caravitas case, freeing lawyers from the fear that a civil claim or the simple operation of a business will become a disciplinary case for now and for the future. That's a wrap on episode one. Thank you all for listening. I hope you found it helpful. In upcoming episodes, we'll look at more case law affecting lawyers and their practices, and not just disciplinary case law either. We'll talk about tips for handling tricky situations, and we'll plan to get some guests on here for interviews too. I hope you'll stay with me for all of that. Thanks again, and be well.